It's whatever happened to Vic Diaz, the cinematic excursion through the work of the magnificent Filipino character actor Vic Diaz. You know him, you love him. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everyone, to Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz. On this episode, we'll be discussing Wonder Women, a bizarre exploitation from 1973 that you are well aware of, whether you even know about it or not. Starts Nancy Kwan, Ross Hagen, and, of course, Vic Diaz, credited as Vic Diaz, (laughs) as Lapu Lapu. Uh, Before we get into all of that, though, I have to welcome onto the show my... Let's say manservant, Doug Tilly. Doug. You could have said your man Friday. That would have been a lot nicer. No, I uh, know. I, I was looking for something that would make you feel bad. Doug, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing, you know what, under the circumstances. <laughs> I feel like I only ever say that these days. I'm doing uh, okay. I had a uh, bit of a uh, health issue over the past week, and I don't want to make it sound like it's more than it is, but I hurt my back pretty substantially, and it left me kind of bedridden for about three or four days, uh, which which it was fine. <laughs> it sucked, but it was fine. Um, and the world is how the world is. Uh, I don't want to belabor it, Liam, because I want to come today from a place of positivity. I'm sitting in a chair. Hey, that's positive. Uh, you and I are together chatting. That's positive. And we're even going to talk about a movie that I actually enjoyed, Wonder Woman from the year 1973. Doug, we're roughly the same age. I mm-hmm. won't reveal which of us is older, but uh, you know we're pretty close in age. You so, are older. So, <laughs> fuck. But with, so with relative certainty, I'm going to say that I'm going to ask you, is it true, Doug, that you own not just one, but multiple trailer collections on some form of home video whether that's I love them so much Liam yeah. I really do and I know there I know there are friends of ours mutual friends who hate trailers like they just really dislike them and that even goes back to like exploitation trailers from the 70s yep. Yep. they just think that they don't they, they think that it's not representative of the movies which is honestly very true in a lot of cases I always think of them as an art form in and of themselves I mean your uh your stepdad Joe Dante used to edit and uh and i there i think there's a real art to them particularly in the 1970s and 1980s but boy i love them i love watching them back to back i love those compilations trailer trash Mm -hmm. and the uh the 42nd street forever collections Mm -hmm. i just yeah i own more than a few i would go so far as to say and this may not be true but i'm gonna guess here that might have that at least once you have paid to watch trailers in a theater (laughs) um like solely to watch yeah, trailers? Like a trailer collection. No. Uh, ah. that, sorry. I, w- I mean, I've certainly Not gone a- to um, screenings that had large sections of trailers right. as part right. of them, and like old trailers specifically, but I've never sat down specific. I would, hey, if they did a screening in Toronto of like 90 minutes of, of cool trailers, I would definitely... Uh, well, not now, but in other times, I would definitely go. Yeah. But, uh, but no, I just haven't had the opportunity because I live in the middle of nowhere. Doug, I have four times been in a theater just to watch trailers <laughs> i've done exhumed did a trailer thing uh there was a uh a uh movie collective in philadelphia that i think it was called 
it wasn't called Hidden Film or maybe it was Secret Cinema, something like that. It was a very like someone else has this name. You know, it was a sort of name that I'm sure sounded really smart at the time. But now you're like, how many secret cinemas are there in America? You know what sure. I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once at a film fest called Action Fest, they had a trailer thing that was really just the member when Draft House released a collection of trailers called Trailer Wars. Yeah, I remember it was that. It was that. And if you paid for it you would get a copy of trailer wars so that's why i did it because i wanted oh. a copy of trailer wars uh yeah so i've done this yeah f- at least four times i've, I've sat in a theater watch trailers and in my experience if you have uh a particular genre of trailer specifically related to 70s exploitation of some kind I would almost guarantee you've seen the trailer for Wonder Woman. What do you think about that, Doug? I mean, I've seen it multiple times on those trailer compilations, so I think it's fairly likely. Uh, uh, to me, when I think of those trailer compilations, yeah, I think a lot of, of those, uh, particularly mid-70s, like Candy Stripe Nurses type stuff, Jack yep. Hill type yep. material. Uh, and sometimes I think of, of 1980s material. Specifically, the, the trailer I always think of is Miss 45, the Abel Ferrara movie, Agreed. believe it or not. Uh, and I see that on a lot of the compilations, but yeah, there's a few, and maybe it's because it's they're great trailers. Maybe it's just because they're very commonly available. There are a few that you see pop up again and again, and Wonder Woman is definitely one of them. Hey, I think it's one of those cases where probably a lot of our uh, the people that we talk about movies with, they're a lot more likely to have seen the trailer than actually seen the movie. Well, and that was my question, Doug. You, I, my feeling is, had you seen this movie before? No, but then there's a lot of those era uh, kind of like. Particularly when they lean more into the sexploitation aspect that that I haven't made as much of an effort to catch up on simply because they don't interest me as much as other genres. You know, sure. I will watch them and enjoy them. So with this one, um, I know that Vinegar Syndrome released a really nice, uh, uh, I think it was a Blu-ray of this movie, certainly a DVD at the very least. Um, and th- I think that was when I saw a lot of people react to it really positively and it made me a lot more interested in checking it out. But before that, it just was kind of all lumped together with a lot of these kind of movies that I didn't have any particular interest in. If I had known how weird it was, yeah, I would have I would have uh, seeked it out a lot earlier because this is a very, very strange movie. This is the thing for me, though, Doug, is that uh, I agree. It does have a bit of a and – and I remember the trailer having a bit of a sexploitation vibe. But all of those 70s exploitation movies, whether they were sexy or not, that involved international action – I find those trailers so fascinating. I've wanted to watch all those movies, and I just haven't had a chance to. So I'll tell you what, Doug. This episode, for me, is like kind of a big deal because I've okay. wanted to see this movie for a while. I want to see this one. I wanted to see, like, I don't know. Uh, well, I almost said the fake one from uh, from Pulp Fiction, actually. Uh, <laughs> you know, Fox, Fox Force 5, which is clearly influenced by these movies, but it's not that. But, like, there is, like, Force 5, and there's a bunch of those, like, team of karate experts movies or team of men with one woman or like this film team of deadly women all what i don't know what it is but all the trailers for those movies look fascinating to me and i know that there's a chance they're not good you know that they aren't great but what was great about getting ready for this episode was finding out that this movie that i have you know i haven't quested for it but i've been interested in seeing it for a long time sure was like worth the wait. It actually yeah. is a good movie. Like it's it's not my favorite. There's things I don't like about it. We'll get into it. But man, this was really a mark in my thing of like, hey, you know that random Wonder Woman movie? You see it all the trailers. I've seen that. I've seen that movie. I know about that movie. 
it's I mean, I think I think as fans of exploitation, as fans of horror, as fans of genre cinema, we're, we're pretty used to watching trailers and having the movie not live up to them. So we always go in with a certain amount of um, that we're pretty careful when we watch these right, movies. Right. And a movie like this and uh, probably a lot of the movies of that time period that we're just kind of talking about, they work better with groups of people, right? I mean, the, the, sitting sure. in sitting in your living room and watching Wonder Women is a as a solitary experience. I still had a lot of fun with it, but it wouldn't have been as fun as if I had a room full of people all watching it. And right. not necessarily even like cracking jokes, but just kind of soaking in the oddball aspects of it. Um, so for me, you know, I get excited about the opportunity to catch up with these things because I think I can appreciate them on a number of different levels. And also because like in the case of this movie, it, it goes beyond just the odd plot aspects. You start thinking about it in t- terms of a historical perspective, in the way that the Philippines is presented in the movie, in terms of the, um, the, the cast. So you have Sid Haig here, you have Ross Hagen here, you have Nancy Kwan here, you have these different actors with all of these really interesting aspects of their career. And you can start to put all those together, including like the director and what they did after what they did before. One of the nice things about being a nerd uh, is that you can contextualize things on a greater level because you connect them to all other aspects of popular culture and and or within that piece of popular culture. So for me, it's just like this is exciting because it is like filling in a puzzle piece for exploitation films as a whole. Well, we're going to get into some more of that uh, when we talk about the movie itself. So let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about 1973's Wonder Women. <laughs> we'll be right back. We're doing downtown. Intercontinental Hotel. I've taken the best scenic spots. Sometimes very hard to come in. Very stout, but it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Very pretty city, Manila. Very modern. Have you been here before? No. It's not always this hot here. This is not hot. Very soon, much rain. Nice kids, my friend. <laughs> Makes me a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> Love a little, fight a little. <laughs> Good for the body. An insurance investigator battles Dr. Sue and her sexy all-girl army. That is a very bad description of 1973's Wonder Women, directed by Robert Vincent O'Neill, who you may know from Angel and Avenging Angel and Blood Mania, but for me it's just Angel. That's really <laughs> what I Avenging Angel's okay, but I really love Angel. Uh, starring Nancy Kwan, Ross Hagen, uh, Maria de Aragon, uh, Roberta Collins... Sid Haig, Vic Diaz, other people, you know, it's it's a movie set in the Philippines. It is what it is. Uh, Wonder Women, this is, as we discussed earlier, was a pretty important movie to me in the abstract. And now I've watched it and I have opinions. But first, I want to talk to Doug. He's already put his cards on the table that he enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. I want to know, Doug, what was it that you found charming about this movie? And were there any aspects that you found not charming about this film? Um, I mean, we'll talk about the things that that may may be more troublesome about the movie, and there's there's certainly a few, and they're not. Um, you can't just really just slide by them. They're important and they're worth discussing. But right. overall, right. I found this movie incredibly entertaining, and for a number of different reasons. Honestly, one of them is because of Ross Hagen in the lead, because he's such an unappealing and sleazy good guy. Terrible, 
Terrible. And, and he's not playing sleazy. He's playing like sex bomb, James Bondish type guy. And knowing that he like produced it and like this is kind of his concept, you just like know that he thinks he is like king shit. And whenever he's on screen, he's like Michael Shannon playing like a hillbilly, right? I mean, he just looks so weird. And of course, all the women love him all the time. Uh, but I love it. I love how uh, out there his character is. Uh, I really like Nancy Kwan, too, uh, who's playing very much a James Bondish type villain. She's a little stiff in the role. But, I mean, you're not here looking for Academy Award nominees. Uh, and Sid Haig, I think, is a lot of fun as well. And, of course, we'll talk about Vic Diaz in just a little bit. But I think it's just the concept behind the movie that I enjoyed more than anything else, mm. which is just that these – just to give an idea of the plot, since the plot summary was kind of bad. Dr. Sue, played by Nancy Kwan, she has having her <laughs> her Wonder Women go around the world and kidnap famous athletes in a variety of sports – so that she can steal their organs and transplant them into rich people. <laughs> and in, right. in, in fact, like not just regular organs, she has found a way to transplant brains into these athletes. So uh, she's supposed to be like a super genius. And there is a science fiction element to this mm -hmm. that goes into total Dr. Moreau territory. Where at the end of the movie, you find out that her failed experiments are all kept in a cage down in their basement. So they have all these kind of mutant type characters down there that run wild in the final act. Um, all of that stuff is a lot more interesting to me than the Wonder Women themselves, who are kind of fairly interchangeable uh, and are not very interesting and, and not developed very well. But uh, But that said... Even the action in this movie, I think, is a cut above a lot of the exploitation movies that you see of this time period. There is a car chase, or I guess it's not really – they're not really cars, but there is a vehicle chase in this movie that is really impressive and looks super fucking dangerous. And uh, at least a couple of people obviously got hurt. What's great about it is this, it, it's shot in like a busy – uh, motor uh, way so you see the people in the background just watching and they're obviously just watching them film <laughs> this car chase in the downtown area of like manila or wherever it is uh and so it, it really it, it really kind of reinforces that at this time period in the 1970s they're making a lot of movies in the philippines yeah and and clearly there are no laws there's no there it's not it, it seems pretty obvious that no one is enforcing any sort of labor safety on oh, the yeah. set at mm -hmm. all uh yeah i i mean it's worth pointing out that the the sort of science fiction is here is actually like multiple things which i think it's really interesting because it, it's a she specifically names that she's developed a way of neutralizing rejection right like right for people who for whatever reason don't know the reason we aren't just transplanting tons of shit willy-nilly is that when you transplant something from someone else's body into another person's body there's an issue with rejection the body decides this is some sort of invading parasite and it must be destroyed and so that's her first insight but the other one which sort of gives it even more of a science fiction feel is the idea that she can keep these people in stasis indefinitely so yes. that means the surgeries can last however long they need to last because the person's in stasis and then the the athletes the various athletes that she kidnaps they basically become sex slaves <laughs> yeah the, the women have time, sex with these guys that's the right. whole time they're waiting for to harvest their organs they're just zombie sex slaves which adds a whole other layer to the film um so th this is something i want to run past you doug you pointed out that the titular Wonder Women 
are not necessarily the most interesting part of the film, that they kind of mm-hmm. feel underdeveloped and a little interchangeable, even though visually they're all very different. Right. As characters, there's only slight differences between some of them. There's a couple who stand out, like the country girl with a gun, because none of the Wonder Women have, have guns on their assaults except for the gun girl. So you kind of like, oh, that's the one with the gun who always shoots someone. Okay, that kind of stands out a little bit. But for the most part, there's not a lot of differentiation here. Uh, between the various Wonder Women. Is it possible that the pitch was just Wonder Women and the actual surprisingly interesting sci-fi plot <laughs> was something they wrote later so that the movie would have a plot? Do you think that's possible? I mean, this movie wouldn't exist without the Wonder Women aspect. Right. So I think that's fully possible, if not likely, right? Well, but I one mean, direction it could have gone is you made the movie and then you said, oh, we should actually focus on the Wonder Woman and that'll be the marketing like the movie could have been called Dr. Sue's Vile Island and then they changed it to Wonder Woman however watching it I really think the only idea going in was Wonder Woman and then weirdly they developed a whole other plot that has almost nothing to do with the Wonder Woman whatsoever well, I do know that Wonder Woman was not the original title for the movie. So at the very least, that it isn't like where they started from. I think okay. uh, in Europe it's called The Deadly and the Beautiful, as opposed which is a worse title, actually. Jesus. Though, I know. That's a pretty terrible title. I think there was some concern that DC Comics might get legally involved. I think there actually was a threat at some point uh, that they had to change the name. But obviously it's out there in the world as Wonder Woman now. So it couldn't have been that much of a threat. I guess it was just different enough. But yeah, I do think that at the very least, the promise of you know, sexuality and sex. I mean, we know how movies are sold. Uh, I'm surprised that more focus wasn't on the monstrous aspects of it. But I think the women were enough. The weird thing about this is that the movie is rated PG. Even now watching it. Uh, I mean, I understand there was no PG-13. So the fact that it didn't slide so far into R-rated material um, meant that, that you know, what they could either rate it PG or R. But man, there's a lot of nudity and a lot of violence for a movie rated PG. I agree, and in fact, this is one of the things. So uh, at sort of a base level, right, I think this movie is entirely entertaining just in what it is. And I don't, I, you know, we, we'll, we'll get to some criticisms in a little bit, but just mm-hmm. on its just face level, it's it's fun. However, as I was thinking about the movie, I wonder if in some ways it kind of fails at what it's trying to do because it seems to be both telling the story of this like heroic, sexy man and and this (laughs) evil doctor and all that stuff but it's also meant to have these like tantalizing moments right where Mm. a we see the the wonder women by the way weirdly seducing their sex slaves like these are these men are zombies they don't need you to seduce them (laughs) they're gonna do whatever you want to do and also like in some cases they develop uh emotional attachment to their sex slaves right exactly um, but but I, I was focusing on those scenes just because they're supposed to be hot, or right. the scene with Ross and uh, the 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 Wonder Woman that ends up switching sides for him. Um, all these scenes are meant to be sexy, and they're like very not sexy. Yeah, it, it, it seems like uh, even though I I would argue that the kung fu in the movie is also not so successful, but it seems like. <laughs> The action side of this sex action movie is so successful, it's almost baffling how unsexy this movie is. Since, based on the trailer, that's why you would see this movie. The trailer is, uh, from my memory, largely uninterested with everything except for the Wonder Women. Yeah. And yet, watching the movie, I'm like, the Wonder Women are just superfluous. They, they, you know, their dresses are short, they have machine guns, but except for one or two of them, they mostly don't matter. 
who I just feel like whoever was directing this movie, you know, uh, he, clearly this is someone who can direct because I love Angel. I think that's sure. a fun movie. Absolutely. But this movie's not sexy to me, and I don't think it's just because I'm not like hot on any of these women. I just don't think the scenes are that sexy. Like it really feels like the sexiness is there because it's like contractually obligated or something. You know what I mean? Like it, it just doesn't feel important to the film overall. It doesn't even move the plot really, except for the relationship between the 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 uh, you know the American and the one Wonder Woman, for the most part, the rest of the film, it doesn't really matter. It's not, even when the Wonder Women assault, it's just, it's more about them being tough than it is about them being sexy. Yeah, and I mean, even with the scantily clad aspect of it, yeah, it it doesn't feel sexy in the way that the movie that it's somewhat trying to emulate, the movies, I should say, like James Bond movies, they often do feel sexy, even though they're also restricted by their rating and they can't show, you know, a lot of of, um, explicit material. If you go with the idea that they were looking for that PG rating and this movie doesn't have like it has a single sex scene that is you don't you know that that it really just cuts to the next day of Ross Hagen laying in bed before the woman tries to kill him that leads into the best action scene in the whole movie but um but you're right in terms of of kind of linger, lingering erotic tension yeah this movie doesn't have any of that and I don't think it has entirely um to do with the like the 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 how the women are presented or how who they have as the women in this movie i think it has more to do with the what the director was interested in compared to what the people marketing it were interested in it's just funny because i was satisfied with what i got but i can understand at some level if someone is attracted to a film like this because of those more uh salacious aspects Mm -hmm. this might be a letdown you know what I mean? I they guess, might... but like if you went to the drive-in and this movie oh, came yeah. on oh, and yeah. you were like, I, I want to see boobs and I want to see, honestly, I just want to see boobs. Well, you get that in the first five minutes. So after that, you know, <laughs> promise delivered and then everything else can be hopefully more entertaining or more interesting. But I think it really delivers on the action and the weirdness. Like the, yeah. the, the sci-fi stuff is actually kind of weird. And when the, uh, although I will say briefly that I don't know that they, explain very well why she has so many freak monsters <laughs> since all she's doing is transplants really. so w- one one apparently is turned into a monkey and they don't really explain that at all uh but but they never uh, really explain why she has so many women working for her and how that all came about right i mean i you know the- i i like the idea that that's just something you're just supposed to roll with that yeah the, exactly the, the only man around is sid haig and that to me is awesome i love him in this movie by the way <laughs> so well let's talk about that actually let's let's shift gears rather than pull apart the weird inconsistencies that are still entertaining <laughs> let's talk about the performances um you mentioned you thought nancy Quan was really good i got to agree she's stiff but the character is stiff you know what i mean yeah yeah and, and the- i mean Sorry, I, I, I was going to say, I think all the flavor comes from Sid Haig anyway, that he's there to be like ridiculous while she's meant to be more menacing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's more Dr. No-ish, right? Where, you know, it, her menace comes from the fact that she is so smart and so capable and has planned ahead for all these eventualities. And that even comes to the end of the movie where this does not end on a happy note for our lead, Ross Hagen. Um, the fact is her reach is supposed to be so far that there's really no escape from her uh, at all, that she's just like a super genius and you know having an actress as accomplished as nancy kwan in that role i think really works i mean the fact is she's sort of slumming it because this was a part of her career where she had to be slumming it a little uh and but when you see 
kind of famous and familiar faces pop up in these exploitation movies in the 70s when you get your Joseph Cotton or your Ray Milland or something like that. Sometimes, hey, sometimes they're kicking their heels up and having a good time. And sometimes they're really, you can just tell they're sleepwalking through it. I think she's putting in the effort to make this a fun character, a fun, interesting character, even though it is um, that that she lets people be more fun, kind of uh, bouncing off of her rather than, than her showing a lot of personality herself. I mean, that scene where she's like having... Uh, mind sex with Ross Hagen uh-huh, using, uh-huh. using a headset. I mean, just the most ridiculous thing. And the fact that she's playing it intimidating and kind of scary, I think it makes the movie really work. I will say for those among us who are interested in like um, feminist theory sorts of things, this is definitely a strong woman written by men. Like the <laughs> idea that like she's so smart, she's beyond any sentimentality or emotions. It's such a male view of intelligence. You no know kidding. what I mean? No that, kidding. Like, any woman writing the script would say, no, she's going to be sensitive and loving because that's what smart women are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's instead, she's like, you don't even need to be physically intimate anymore because I've invented brain sex. You're like, <laughs> come on, get the fuck out of here. Uh, but but it's still a great performance and I love it. But, but again, I'm trying to push you towards, I want to hear what you think about our man. The only person who's with us as often as Vic Diaz is Sid <laughs> So here's the thing. Remember in um, was it the Big Dollhouse? Is that what? Am I confusing it with another one of those titles? Um, I think it's the Big Dollhouse. The Big or Dollhouse, is it the Big or the Bird, Bird Cage? Well, the one that we've already talked about on this yeah. show. Yeah, where Sid Haig has to play gay, uh, and he, he is flamboyantly, uh, offensively, uh, stereotypically gay in that movie for a huge section of it. He's playing gay here as well. Just not nearly as over the top and a lot more very much like camp as opposed to just going way ridiculously overboard. Uh, And I think he's a lot more fun here than he is there. I love that he is kind of above it all in that he's obviously just connected to this because of the money he can make. And when shit goes really bad, he just walks off. He's like, all right, (laughs) I am out of here. With his cane sword, by the way. At that point, he could easily be mauled by one of these freaks. And he's just like, well, just stab this guy and see you later. (laughs) And you're just like, yeah, that makes sense, you know? And at the the end, I guess he's smarter than everybody because he can get away. But uh, no, I think he's a lot of fun. And I love the idea that, again, in a classic James Bond way, that, you know, that some of the, the, some of the people who are, not the villains that are like the people below the villains or their number one or whatever, that they're a lot more flamboyant, a lot more interesting than the villains themselves. And I, I like that even though we both feel like, oh, he's play- this is him playing gay. He's not like over the, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that the performance is what it is. And, 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 you know, and it's never made explicit. It's not like right. they have like the athletes all frozen and he's over there going, Ooh, my goodness. And just like drooling over it. Like they, right. like they would do in, in, in some other films here. Yeah. He's just happens to be a fancy pants who, uh, is shown to be effeminate. And the suggestion is he's the only one they can trust because mm-hmm. there's only women on this Island. Right. I, I, I just think it's it's a good role for him. And uh, in a lot of these films that I've seen that I've seen him in, um, he does tend to go more for this like leering, uber masculine, whatever, yes. whatever. Mm-hmm. And so getting to see him in a role like this that isn't offensive, you know, he's he's doing something more intellectual, but it's not like some weird mincing whatever thing that he does in some of the other movies I've seen. Sure. It was great. It was great seeing him do something a little bit unexpected. And would be interesting for anyone who's listening to this who's unfamiliar with his 
70s work. If you only know him from Devil's Rejects, this is definitely a different Sid Hag than that. You know, so <laughs> I, I, I just I really appreciate I appreciated seeing that. Um, so we talked about this a little bit, uh, or rather you did, but I want to circle back on this. What do we think of uh, our man here, Ross Hagen, <laughs> as the like heartthrob or at least the <laughs> leading man the, the 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 center of this film um because I, I i have mixed feelings i have mixed feelings what do you think well i mean understandably so the character itself is so strange right because right. the movie is very inconsistent about how he's presented uh the suggestion at the beginning is that he works for an insurance company and the idea is these athletes are disappearing and the insurance company, Lloyds of London, would have to pay up because they've disappeared. And so he's got to investigate and see what actually happened. Uh, and, and that allows him to take like a really ridiculous cut because they'd have to pay out 500000 Well, if he can save them even a portion of that, he can take it. So I, I think that's interesting as a concept, but the movie doesn't really play out that way. He actually is kind of tricked into... Um, working for the insurance company, even though the movie presents him as being from the insurance company from the beginning, it's it it doesn't really make a lot of sense. It feels like it's kind of they're trying to retroactively try to make it make sense. But Hagen himself, he's fun because he's such a sleazeball, right? right? But the movie the movie does not know that he's a sleazeball when he's in a bar and he like leaves the the insurance guy so he can go to 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 uh, to bar side to the bar side to pick up a woman. He does it with the swagger and confidence of like, like peak Peter Fonda, right? Like just a beautiful man. <laughs> but, but when you look at him, he l- literally looks like a monster. He is such a weird, yeah. creepy looking guy. So the fact that he, it, and, and you know, he was an actor in the 60s in a lot of movies that I connect with Mr. Stein's Theater 3000, like Side Hackers and things like that. Right. But even at this point, you know, he's already kind of past his his youthful days and he looks it. So to me, it's like that just adds to the fun and the humor of the whole thing. Um, even if it wasn't intentional. Yeah. I mean the whole idea too, there's this amazing scene where, uh, uh, Dr. Sue and Sid Haig's character, uh, Gregorius, what a ridiculous name! <laughs> I love are it. Just, are discussing his value on the meat market, and they're basically like roasting him that he's too old and gross to be worth <laughs> a lot of money, and yet they also are insistent upon his virility. Yeah, and exactly. That's sort of where the film is at, and 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 it sort of takes this view of him as almost like a representative of America that like he's not beautiful, he's not smooth, he's not classy, but he's so strong and virile and that's all that matters. <laughs> and that right. really comes across in the plot, right? Where this, you know, basically the most reliable, possibly most deadly Wonder Woman comes to seduce him and, you know, pretty quickly is kind of <sighs> one over i mean partly because he captures her but it doesn't take long <laughs> for her to be like i don't know i guess i'll be on his side yeah. knowing full well that there's an army of armed women and a room full of freaks in the basement she's just kind of like i guess i'm just with this dude now and it's, <laughs> it's very like strange but it, you know you're going with it because the movie is about how amazing he is even if there's not that much evidence that he's that amazing really <laughs> it's why the sequence with the the mind sex works right because he's he's presented as this swinging dick the whole time but in this this kind of category of sex that he has no experience in he gets completely overwhelmed to the point where you basically see him orgasm with this thing on his head in the movie it's very good and also he can't decide 
to play the scene as like kind of real right. or utterly ridiculous. So <laughs> some of the looks on his face, you're like, "Oh, that's gross. I, that's that's a little too close." <laughs> and then he'll switch to like this goofiness that you're like, "Oh, okay. So this is like slapstick for you, you know?" And it, it seems like really clear he's not sure how to play that scene in some ways, but it kind of makes it work. It really sold it for me, honestly. <laughs> well, I mean, in a lesser movie. With with his influence on the script that obviously existed, then you know they'd present him as also being good at the mind sex and just yeah. have her like completely won over by again that virility that we see over and over again. So the fact that they made managed to make it somewhat comedic and that he's kind of overwhelmed by it, I think it's a it's a good choice. Um, but I boy, agree. a lot of this movie is about presenting this obviously not heartthrob man as being like you said. Uh, the, the quintessential example of American virility. I want to echo something you said earlier, which is that the chase scenes in this movie, which there's like a foot chase, and then there's some chases with these like weird motorcycle cart vehicles. Yeah, I, right. I know there's a name for them. If you've seen Ungbok, you're probably familiar with them, mm-hmm. or I think some Jackie Chan movies too. Uh, but those chase scenes are stellar. Just dangerous amazing whatever but the other aspect of the action in this movie is the kung fu Uh, and that is exceedingly bad throughout the whole movie they cannot sell a single fight scene in this film and i would argue any fight scene involving one of the women is 50 percent just about them rolling over so you can see their short shorts or their undie pants yeah and it's totally weird and distracting and you know i feel like i could choreograph a better fight scene just right now with my cell phone so doug talk to me a little bit about the actual martial arts in this film i mean you do have to take into account that the the time that this was made right 1973 this was the height of like enter the dragon would have just come out bruce lee would have just maybe not quite died at the time that this movie came out um or certainly when it was being made so people were like high on martial arts. Yeah. In King movies. Boxer came out this summer. Exactly, yeah, right? Yeah. So people were big, right? This was the height of US uh martial arts fever. So they had to include it in the movie, but their version of kung fu is have the women hold their hands out flat and chop with their hands, right? Just like in uh they mock in in uh Black Dynamite when they have the the female yes. uh, kung fu squad yes. and they just kind of waving their arms like chop, 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 chop. Uh, and that's what they do in this movie for the most part. A- and then they roll around. Now, every once in a while, it's not that it's well choreographed, but you see people do things physically that you're like, hey, that's kind of impressive. And every single time, that is a Filipino stunt woman doing that and, and probably Agreed. putting themselves in some sort of harm. Uh, yeah, look, the the one-on-one fighting, I like it sometimes because of how sloppy it is because it makes me feel like like with the other action in the movie that's just a little out of control uh so for that aspect i like it like i do like the fight between ross hagan and the wonder woman um in his apartment or wherever it is after they have sex simply because like all the furniture is going everywhere it feels like if she kicks him through a door at one point it just feels a little out of control which i like but when we say that we like the action in this movie. We're really talking about that foot chase leading into that car chase or vehicle chase simply because it looks like 
people could have gotten seriously hurt. And I know that that's a shitty thing to say. It's like, wow, I like it because it looks like people could have gotten hurt. But it that sometimes is what separates a slick Hollywood action scene from an exploitation action scene where you know that their permits maybe didn't exist and maybe someone got paid off and there are legitimate people that are not actors. In this case, someone actually gets hit by one of the vehicles at one point who was not an actor, obviously. Uh, so, I mean, this is a case where hopefully everyone was perfectly 100% okay because if that was the case, I can guilt-free enjoy the action in this movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's still fun. I don't want to make it sound like the martial arts is is ruining the movie, but it is funny that the standards would go up pretty quickly <laughs> after this. You know that e- even some of the corniest movies I've seen have better fight scenes than this movie does. But you know, it is what it is. Uh, I I love though, uh, and I think you do too. Sort of the climax of this movie into the ending, like it's just. It just goes off the rails in the best possible way. It seems to have very little concern for many of the characters it's introduced us to. <laughs> it's got shambling freaks and lots of machine gun fire. I think it's great. Doug, how did you feel about the the way this movie wrapped up? I, I mean, I, it, it is exactly what it had to be. I do think that there's a point where they start to think, you know what? Maybe we could have a Wonder Woman too. So let's not go too crazy on who dies and who lives, right? Make sure that Gregorius gets out of here. Make sure that uh, that the doctor that she can uh, escape in a cloud of smoke, <laughs> and just in case we want to do a follow up. And in fact, they tried to do a follow up. They actually filmed some scenes for a sequel to this movie. I think it was the early '80s or late '70s that are out there that are on the uh, the one of the DVD releases of this. Uh, but unfortunately, it was never uh, completed. But uh, and I guess Ross Hagen himself kind of spearheaded that. So I love the fact that it is like um, a complete breakdown. Ross Hagen escapes. Some of the women turn. Uh, it They have to kind of hide. And then there's like a whole battle scene with monsters in it. I mean, it, it's exactly what you would hope. It was. It's exactly as climactic as it should feel at the end of all this kind of ridiculous setup. And I think that's the, the point, right, is that so many of these movies – don't sell this at you don't get the payoff and i feel like this movie really does everything it can to be like here it is yeah. here's here's the ending you want and then even more so for me with the with the stinger at the end here where it turns out my man is not quite escaped the network of wonder women it's corny <laughs> as hell but it kind of works for where the movie's at at that point you know? yeah absolutely right and i like the idea that that you don't see him necessarily die but that he is completely screwed at the end just like how i like when he gets captured in the movie he is completely nonchalant about it even though like there's no way that he's going to get out of this of course he gets out of it but the fact that they're taking him on this tour and it's like this person's been like, you know, they're frozen into this comatose state, just like you will be very soon. And he's like, huh. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Cool. <laughs> or like he's offered food and he just fucking chows down on it. Even though it's like, it's supposed to be like maybe an hour away from his death. But uh, oh yeah, his superpower is nonchalance. That's, yes. that's all he's really bringing to the table is the ability to just roll with the punches. <laughs> so even at the end, it's like, even though it feels, oh no, he's screwed. You know, it's it's all in good fun, that sort of thing. It ends kind of exactly as it should end. I like the stinger where it does kind of set up um, a sequel, a potential sequel. I kind of wish that yeah. we had a whole a whole series of these Wonder Woman movies. Well, despite how it may seem, Doug, this is not the Ross Hagen podcast, though maybe it should be. <laughs> it is the Vic Diaz podcast, and I got to ask you, what did you think of our man Vic Diaz in this role? 
I so Vic Diaz. This is kind of a prototypical Vic Diaz role, right? Where he he is in it all the way through. He keeps popping up. He's uh, in this case, he's he's doing a kind of a comedic um, assistant role. So when Ross Hagen first arrives in the Philippines, he's driving one of these vehicles. He's he's the guy who gets him information. He's the guy who introduces him to other people who can provide information, like Wonton Charlie. That is actually one of the characters in this movie. Awful, and, awful. Uh, and at the end, it's so strange. So he helps bring him to the island at the end, and it, there's a setup where he's going to stay with the boat, and you're supposed to be, oh, he's kind of comically cowardly, but it, boy, it feels like they're setting him up to do like a last-minute turn that never happens. He just kind of disappears from the movie at that point. That said, I think he's a lot of fun, though you alerted me, and quite rightfully, to the fact that it's also very, very representative of the kind of role that foreign actors would play in this movie that is somehow, even though it takes place in the Philippines, even though it's made there, uh, you know, with it happening in the background, somehow all the main characters, uh, except for the lead villain, are white. And uh, we're white. I mean, there are some some black uh, women in the group, but all of our leads, the most of the women that we see have have um, actual dialogue are white. And in the background, even, I want to point out even the athletes, right? They, they yes. abduct a high lie player who is the champion of the Philippines, yeah. and it's a white man. Exactly. And again, you see a lot of Filipino faces in the background, but that's where they stay in the background. So the only time you see um, actual Filipino actors is uh, Vic Diaz playing kind of a ridiculous comic relief character, or in the case of Wonton Charlie, a Filipino actor playing Chinese. Uh, so it's it's... I think you have to take it with a certain skepticism about like why he's doing this role. That said... Vic Diaz, he excels at this kind of performance, right? I mean, he's still right. so gregarious and so fun, and I love that he's got that kind of mischievous smile. There's a part during that big chase scene where at the end you find out that he's hidden underneath his vehicle. <laughs> and he just kind of rolls out, and it's like, hey! But, you know, he's also... I like the fact that he's kind of a loyal character, even even though, to me, it kind of felt like they were teasing him that he might uh, turn at the end. Hey, no, the Lapu-Lapu... He makes it to the end. If they were going to make a Wonder Woman 2, they could bring him back. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think there that that is one of the things, you know, obviously there's the issue of we've sort of been hinting at that th- to some extent, Ross Hagen's white man virility could be offensive to some people just because it's so stupid and it's so playing into like a certain patriarchal stereotype. But I think a stronger thing is the racial slash colonial aspect of this whole thing where it's like right. Philippine, the Philippines is just a backdrop for other people to have their drama and they, it's not the star of its own show. It's just the place you happen to be while this stuff happens. And there's something really gross about that. I mean, even the character, I mean, in and of itself, the character of Wonton Charlie is bad. But they even give Wonton Charlie a chance to explain his name, mm-hmm. for which he explains it as a euphemism. Yeah. Instead of just saying, this is something racist people call me because my Chinese name sounds like the word Wonton. That's what he should have said. That, and then he, oh, then he starts calling himself that. Oh, it's it's ridiculous. And it is, in its attempt to be to intellectualize a clearly racist joke, is more offensive than if they had just let it stand that he just was fucking Wonton Charlie. That would have been better than him trying to explain it in his intellectual voice. It was it was it was bad. But that being said, none of that raises to the level that I think would put anybody off in a super strong way. It's only frustrating to me in that um you know, as good as Vic Diaz is in this role, 
it does feel like not just him, but a lot of people who are in these sorts of movies be, get to play this character, the very helpful native person. Exactly. You know? Yeah, he's he's kind of short roundish in this movie. Exactly, and that I was oh, that's about so in a sense you could say <laughs> well in the sense that that short round is a tribute to this character. That exactly, you could say this character was created probably in the 30s and 40s, and that Vic Diaz is the 70s echo of that character, and short round is the final caricature of this long legacy of the helpful Asian character. Yeah, and uh, and while you could argue that short round in some ways is kind of mocking that stereotype, he also is playing into it. The same is true with Vic Diaz. I mean. Anyone who's familiar with colonial theory will also find this confusing the same way you do, because sometimes when a character is this helpful and is to be, uh, you know, crude, is shucking and jiving this hard, it's because they're hiding bad intentions. That is often what happens is that really it's the most helpful uh, local person that the white man can't trust. Uh, But in this movie, that's not the case. And in some ways, that's almost redemptive because it makes him more of a real person than uh, yet another untrustworthy foreign body the way that the colonial Because even, even Wonton Charlie is shown to be a villain, uh, even oh, though he yeah. presents oh, as a good oh, guy yeah. first. Oh, yeah. Although the logic of that is always funny to me, and this happens in a lot of these movies where the villain tells you everything you need to know and then <laughs> half-heartedly tries to kill you. You could have just not told them anything and killed them then, but instead he gives him actual helpful information and then sort of tries to kill him along the way i've never understood that as a move but it happens in a lot of these kind of movies anyways point is Vic Diaz, the focus of our show is good in the role if you're someone who watches this and says but i think Vic Diaz is capable of more yeah man that's part of the reason we do in the show man i think Vic diaz only occasionally is given more to do and it's 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 a little bit frustrating. I don't think that makes this movie bad, but it is a reminder that one of the reasons Vic Diaz got so many of these roles is because he's really good in the role and he's one of the more charming aspects of the movie and certainly uh, is more charming to me than our hero, uh, uh, Ross Hagen. Is, he's much more <laughs> interesting and charming than Ross Hagen to me. I mean, it's something that we're, we have to come to terms with as we continue doing this movie, gen- uh, sorry, doing this podcast generally, right? I mean, this is not the only time we're going to run into roles like that. This isn't the only time that we've run into it so far. I mean, it's, it's, um, and, and it, I think it's important for us to address it without repeating ourselves every single time. The fact that Vic Diaz became a uh, a regular um, actor in a lot of these movies is based on a lot of things. Some of it is based on his skill. Some of it's based on his availability. But a lot of it is based on his flexibility and his willingness to do these kind of roles. Not that people yeah. were turning it down necessarily or, or because of, of, of thinking that it's offensive. But I always think of another actor, and maybe people will get upset at me at this, but I think of Getty Watanabe, right? The the actor that you see in a lot of 80s teen movies, uh, including most notably uh, 16 Candles, right? And he plays a horrific Japanese stereotype in almost every one of those movies, and he appears in tons of them. And the the question is, you know, representation is incredibly important. It's it's better than a white actor, you know, putting on yellow face and, and trying to do those roles. And it eventually, hopefully, has led to actors that are or performances that are more three dimensional and more roles that are available. But did you have to have that step in order to make that happen? And how much is that actor responsible for that, especially in that particular case, an actor that was raised in the U.S. with like a southern accent who has to kind of play up that accent? It's something that we've um, 
seen a lot lately. I don't know if you saw those YouTube videos with his Uncle Roger character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where it's a, he's a comedian who is playing up an accent, you know, you know the accent that he's familiar with. Uh, and and I'm, I have no opinion one way or the other about whether it's appropriate for him to be using that accent or not. It's not my place to say. Uh, and I, I don't want to feel like I'm policing someone's culture like that anyway. But it's conversations that are happening right now. They've never really gone away. Uh, and I think it's important for us to continue to talk about those kind of things because Vic Diaz is great in this movie. He's a lot of fun, but you can't t- completely separate that from what his character is supposed to be. I will say, though, in all these discussions, there's layers, right? So the the thing about the Uncle Roger character is he is consistently mocking white people as horrible and right. pointing out the ways that they are already stealing his culture and doing it badly. And it's uh, even if you find the accent offensive, it's hard not to think it's funny when he's pointing at these like famous chefs who can't fucking figure out how to make fried rice. It's like one of the easiest dishes in the world, and these people are straight fucking ruining it with no concern for the thousands of years of people who know how to make fried rice in, in the right I way. I mean but but I mean uh, his his you're right but he's also making a lot of exaggerated ridiculous uh arguments regarding why their way of doing it is wrong, you know, things that don't make sense and things oh, that I are think just they, uh, 100% they all make sense. Everything he said is is actually true. I mean, I think that 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 is questionable, and I also think that the people that he is addressing in his uh, videos are not exclusively white. And I think that that there is something to be said that uh, when someone makes a, I guess when someone presents something as authentic, that's the problem, right? It's like this is the authentic way of doing things. But I mean, there's a lot of ways to make fri- fried rice. No, I don't actually believe that. I believe there's only one right way to make fried rice, and that white people fuck everything up. That's actually my 100% belief. And if people don't like that, they can shoot me an email and we can talk about it. Uh, but, but I guess my point is that in the same way, one could look at the two examples of Vic Diaz and, uh, and Watanabe and sort of argue about how both are playing into stereotypes but maybe doing it in different ways. And right. one of the things I think it's interesting with Vic Diaz is he – did get some opportunities to not play the same character exactly. over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that's like kind of what's interesting in some ways. And I wish was also true uh, uh, of Watanabe. It just doesn't seem like he got the same opportunities to do anything different than this thing that people had kind of come to expect from him. And, you know, we're all also dealing with the, an economic reality, which is like, uh, you know, Vic Diaz is trying to eat in the 70s and uh, in the 80s, uh, Watanabe's trying to eat. You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, there's part of me that's like these, some of these things feel terrible to me, but then also like, I, I kind of get that sometimes you take the roles that are available. And, and in a way, uh, this is sort of something we've struggled with with other actors, but I feel it's more extreme in this case, you know? There's it's, a... It's, Go ahead. So I was just going to say, there's a really great comic. Uh, it's a short comic that you can find online by uh, Adrian Tomini. I, hopefully I haven't screwed up his name too much. Specifically about his experience growing up and people mocking him because they saw uh, Getty Watanabe as like Long Duck Dong right. from Sixteen right. Candles. And the, the effect that it had on his life. This is a conversation that's happened in a kind of a different form with Apu on The Simpsons and how uh, oh, yeah. pe- people of East Indian descent, you know, growing up. And having things thrown at them, right, and, and stereotypes and catchphrases and all that, and the fact that that the people who were responsible for putting that out into the world hold some responsibility. What's great about this particular comic is he he comes to terms with it, and then 
feels like he has some sort of resolution. This is the graphic art novelist who, who did this comic. And then at the end, you know, he sees another one of these roles and it just makes him angry once again. And I think that's something that we're going to run into to some extent with Vic Diaz, where, I agree. you know, I mean, we've just like in our last, you know, we've seen him play Japanese and we're probably going to see him play some other nationalities as well. He could just have easily have played uh, Wong Tong, whatever his name is in this movie, Wong Tong Charlie. It, it just, it's just a case where I think it's complex I think it's multifaceted. I don't think there's there's just like one uh, bit of blame to go around or maybe blame isn't even the right word. But I also think that it's something that looking at this movie from 2020 eyes that that it's irresponsible to ignore. I agree with that as well. I will I will say again, details matter. Part of the offensive thing with Apu, right, is that that's a white guy. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> it's not like someone is making a bad decision for themselves that has implications for other people, but it's also part of who they are, you know? And but I mean, you know, in this that's case, that's a it's complicated still... thing for me with, like, you know, uh, to take my own background, you know, throughout history, a lot of Latinx actors have played horrible stereotypes. And part of me is, like, really mad about that. And then part of me is like, well, you know, uh, it probably was hard to get roles that weren't those things. Whereas, like, you know, uh, what's his name who plays Apu is some white dude who could do whatever the fuck he wants. So yeah, exactly. it's a little less sympathy there and a little bit more like, why did you think this was a good fucking idea? Yeah, exactly. Right. And and part of it, I guess, is the world that existed at the start and who had the power dynamics that existed when, say, The Simpsons started in 1989 or whatever. But I mean, the fact is it was wrong then and it's wrong now. And there were people who were saying it was wrong then. They just didn't get heard then. Right. Um, exactly. They didn't have a platform. So, I mean, it's just like in this case, yeah, Vic Diaz, he's a Filipino actor playing a Filipino character written and directed by a white guy, right? So, right. not that it's the same thing. I, th- I do think that it allows him to hold on to that power. And I'm not equating those things one to one because they're they're not uh, equitable. But, I mean, the Long Duck Dong was written by a white guy as well. Right. And, you know, that white guy needs to take some responsibility for, you know, it, oh, maybe, yeah. you know maybe more so than Getty Watanabe uh, for for – for putting that into popular culture. Oh yeah, 100%. And especially by then, you know, I I still hear people who are younger than us talk about the 80s like it was the 50s and like, well, no one knew better then. It's like, no. We all decided to forget that we knew better, starting exactly. when Reagan got elected. As soon as Reagan got into office, everyone's like, all that stuff we learned in the 70s, fuck it. We're going back to the way it used to be. Yeah. And then yeah. and then it became worse because we were because we could be more explicit in the 80s, the sexism and racism and homophobia could be more explicit. It was present in the 50s, but you couldn't say the shit that you could say in the 80s that you you know what I mean? So, anyways, we're going off on a whole other tangent. The point is this. <laughs> We're so glad that you decided to listen to this episode of Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz. We hope that if you haven't seen Wonder Woman, you'll give it a chance. And Doug, what are we going to be talking about on the next episode? This is very exciting. (laughs) On the next episode, it's another movie that I have not seen uh, that I picked because I've heard about it because it has a great poster. It's from 1978. It's Vampire Hookers, Liam. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Talk about us going on some SJW rant on this episode. (laughs) I imagine the next one, there might be twice as reason to do so. And yet I'm still so excited to do it. It's a return to the work of Sirio Santiago. Um, And uh, I mean, I I've certainly heard of this movie. I know John Carradine is in it. But in terms of what it's going to be like, hey, we'll find out on the next episode. Yep, we're we're excited. We hope you're excited as well, uh, Doug. <laughs> if people want to uh, check out more of this show or other shows underneath the Cinema Smorgasbord uh, uh, banner, or uh, as part of the Cinepunks Network, how would they do that? 
It's so easy, Liam. Oh my gosh, it's so easy. First, if you want to find out the latest episodes, you can just go over to cinepunks.com. All of our latest Cinema Smorgasbord episodes are there. Uh, and you can actually subscribe through our, our notifications there as well. But if you just want to see what we're all about, you can go over to cinemasmorgasbord.com. has links to all of our social media, including our individual social media, where you can follow Liam at Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z on Twitter, or myself at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L. E-Y. But you can look at our array of podcasts, including ones devoted to actors as diverse as Carol Kane, as Jackie Chan, as Vic Diaz, as, well, just go over there and check it out. Uh, subscribe, and if you want to leave us a review on iTunes, we'd appreciate it very, very much. Yes, Cinebunks.com or Cinemasmokersport.com. Thank you, Doug, and thank you, uh, fair listener, for hearing us <laughs> as we talk about Vic Diaz. Remember, Vic Diaz forever. We'll see you next time. Good night. Super corner, super deeds to get what we need. Sally.